This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns Gordon. Now this time we've just released our biggest ever athletic clothing range. And this range is my favourite we've ever done. We've put so much time and effort into this to making sure it's just spot on. So we've gone for a nice clean golden black look across the whole range. We've got some specialist compression wear. So we've got compression rash guard, compression leggings, compression shorts. We've got a nice compression leggings and sports bra set for the women. And then we've also got some nice t-shirts that you can wear in and out of the gym. So we've got our bind room tee and a nice distressed look. We've got horns loading t-shirt. We've got oversized bind room t-shirt, which is probably my favorite item out of the whole range. See if you just go and check that out. It's really, really nice. And uh, we've got some women's only t-shirts. We've got some athletic shorts. We've got jogging pants. Honestly, we have hit everything with this range and we've put it all out there. So go over to the website, hornsvoting.com. Use the code HORNS10 to listen to the podcast, get a discount 10% of anything off the website. So that's not just the athletic wear. You get anything off of the horns, the mead, any other clothing, the jewelry, you name it. You're going to get 10% off. So just use the code HORNS10. Listen to the podcast, get that. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello, everybody. You sound a bit better this week. I am a little, little bit better this week. Oh, the dog is barking. <laughs> Let's leave it in. Let's not restart. <laughs> Dogs are amazing. Yeah. No, it's... um. She's probably barking at the moose. We, this this morning, I couldn't get out of my front door because there was a giant moose in front of it. <laughs> and they are big. They are big, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I didn't know how big a moose was until I uh, Googled it. And then I, they look like those things of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's how big those fuckers are. <laughs> the little walking, I don't know, those mechanical moose-like creatures, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, because obviously we don't have them in the UK. So we see, you see pictures of them maybe in the woods on or on TV shows, but you don't really get scale until they're stood maybe next to a car or something or a person. This episode is me and Mateus. Once again, we're going to sit down and talk about some short topics, uh, possibly rant. Uh, if, we, if we sound a little bit different, we've got different things going on sound, uh, sound quality wise, maybe just bear with us i'm trying to build a studio ish type thing which is going to be hopefully coming in the next couple of couple of weeks um i know matthias you're sometimes in your office sometimes at home so we're you know bear with us if we sound a little different but hopefully the quality won't drop too much fingers crossed (laughs) so yeah let's get into the show let's let's talk the topic oh i just i just have to tell you one thing it started snowing here oh okay already yeah yeah it's like the, the the you know, as we Danes say, it looks like Christmas. <laughs> Already. I yeah. mean, what were we in? October? Yeah, oh. early October, right? So middle of, middle of October. We probably don't get it now until April. It's ridiculous. When I was a kid, we used to get it around Christmas, and now it just holds off longer and longer. It's Easter time when it snows now. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, feels really weird. It's it's an odd odd thing, especially like as a kid. I grew up with it being snowy. 
That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that. Like uh, when I was a teenager back in the 90s, you could still get like proper blizzards in Denmark. Mm-hmm. I don't think they get blizzards that much anymore. There was no. a couple of years ago, there was a week of blizzards in Denmark, but um, I think it's mostly just rain. Yeah. So. Well, welcome to England. That's what we, yeah. <laughs> All right. So my topic this week is one that I've been wondering about for a long time, and I'm hoping you're going to know the answer. We've had a brief chat on it before, I think. And that is, there is such a big following of, of Viking culture in South America. And I think maybe people who, I mainly notice it because I own a business. So if, you, if I look at the analytics of Instagram or Facebook or any of those things, the most people who view our content whether it's Instagram or Facebook, I think it's the USA, then it's the UK, and it's always Brazil. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always Brazil above Canada, France, any of the Scandinavian countries. It's always Brazil. And I never understood why, and I didn't know whether there was a link. Um, and I hoped maybe you would have an answer for that. Yeah, so there's a couple of things to be said about that. If we look at current popular culture all over pretty much south of the border of the u.s like if you go to mexico you can go to colombia chile argentina uh brazil you will find a lot of people who like and enjoy heavy metal right i mean what, what so so when you know, mainstream bands like Iron Maiden are playing in in, in Brazil. It's like a 200,000 crowd, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty standard thing. Um, <clears throat> and I don't I don't know if they even pull that much here in the US any longer, but they do, they do down there. So this, I, I don't think that that's any secret to anybody that, you know, people who like heavy metal also tend to gravitate towards things like viking stuff and nordic mythology yeah absolutely so so that's one i think one answer to this that you know basically the the interest in in viking stuff and and northern europe and and all that stuff basically goes hand in hand with the interest in heavy metal it does always seem to be brazil in particular that's kind of the one that i found really interesting that it's i mean i'm not saying it's not the other south american countries but that it always seems to be Brazil that stands out. Well, Brazil is a big and very diverse country too. You know, mm-hmm. the, what? How many? Are they closing in on two mil, two hundred million people? I think something like that. There's a lot of people in Brazil, right? <laughs> and yeah. so, so that makes a lot of sense too. Um, like, uh, it's sort of like the 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 U.S. of uh, of South America, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I know, right? But it just seems so bizarre that it would be, like I say, it's literally the third biggest, especially people who like our stuff. And I guess that's the same. For, and I've spoke to Tom, who runs Razor Storm, and his is the same. And, it, you know, it is, it's the US, UK, Brazil. And you would just assume by the nature of what it is, it would, it would maybe be one of the Scandinavian countries or a European country um that has maybe a closer direct link to to viking culture but i don't know brazil has always just felt like such an anomaly to have up there 
I don't know. To to me, it makes sense. Um, the Scandinavians are they're they're not necessarily that interested in their own background and history. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> they're more they're more interested in uh, I don't know the latest uh, pop culture item, uh, you know, and uh, the Kardashians or some shit like that. <laughs> That's an American but, TV getting pumped in. Exactly. But um, but but you have a lot more, you know, diverse and interesting people in Brazil. And this is this brings me to the other uh, subject um, of, of, of this. And that is um, or the other, I would say, primary reason. And that is um, there's a lot of people with northern European heritage in Brazil. Um, just like in Argentina and Chile and plenty of other places, Mexico, right? There's a lot of people. So, and I don't think anybody really knows this, or it, it's not really something that's talked a lot about, but the biggest uh, immigrant heritage group or whatever you want to call it in the United States is German. Like the biggest group of, of Americans to identify with like an ethnicity, they actually identify with German heritage. And there are huge German populations and also Scandinavian populations in South America and in Central America too. Um, the people who migrated there in the 19th century, just like they did to, to North America. And th- th- of course, Brazilians with, you know, um German background or or Scandinavian background also you know take an interest in you know Viking history and 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 all that stuff so that's definitely also part of it and I mean this is also what I hear from you know I I talk to um a bunch of people from from several South American countries and, and they usually like some of the things that they tell me is that well they're interested in this stuff because their grandfather came from you know somewhere in northern Europe, or um, they have some kind of um, um, bond, um, heritage bond with uh, with northern Europe. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, it's pretty pretty common. So, do you think it has any links with the? I guess the the obvious question is with the mass migration of Nazis to Argentina <laughs> in the 1940s? Because obviously, no. you know, we spoke about, <laughs> we spoke about on the show before and you do, obviously there is a big issue within this, this culture, I guess, with white supremacists. And then if you see, anybody that doesn't know, there was a huge Nazi influx into Argentina. And I think there still is some sort of colonies of, of Nazis kind of... So, so actually the already existing... Um, Northern European communities and particularly German communities, immigrant communities in Brazil and Argentina and Chile um, um, were the, uh, the, the, the precursor for, for, for the Nazis, um, you know, uh, going there and hiding. Like, like the, 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 the communities were already there. They weren't really established that much by the Nazis um so it's like the nazis just had the opportunity to go to places like that and disappear it wasn't like a big exodus of 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 nazis it was actually it was i think you know 
that whole thing has been mythologized and blown Maybe. out of proportion more than anything else because it wasn't that many and most of the nazis who who uh, escaped to south america they uh, they were later um uh, handled by mossad <laughs> isn't that what the israeli uh, uh secret service is called <laughs> um, yeah i think they did go and capture a few captured and also disappeared a couple but there are also i mean so uh, um, but 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 we should also not discount that uh, that that nazi uh, uh influence actually had severe impact uh, i mean uh, i'm uh, as far as i'm aware of the history of uh, pinochet's dictatorship in in chile um he would not have been able to do that if he uh, to to establish his dictatorship first of all without american backing but aside from that also without help from uh some of those nazis who had escaped to chile um there's a there's a documentary about a really really fucked up nazi established community that that had some kind of role to play in all that so so that's also a, a thing to consider that some of those dictatorships post world war 2 in 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 south america they they if nothing else had uh, nazi consultants in different ways okay so, yeah that's a thing yeah that that's why i always wondered whether the two kind of maybe leaned into each other um but i i wasn't sure yeah no it's i mean the the, the communities is like germans especially they were established uh, um long before um but uh, you know, it's uh, Argentina is an interesting country when it comes to like northern European migration. You can still find like fully, like ethnically and and linguistically like Swedish and Danish communities in Argentina. If you go there as a Dane, it's like visiting some weird religious community from the 19th century, where they all speak like like they were still in the 19th century. <laughs> It seems it feels so odd to think of there being Swedish and Danish settlements in Argentina. I don't know why. Like I British, I'm like, yeah, of course there'll be some British ones because we went everywhere and were horrible to everyone. But I don't know, like Swedish. Okay, so, so oh, well, so so this is you know the, the Brits they, they they get all the 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 bad rap for for colonization and so on. Sometimes the French as well. But let's just let's just be clear on something, and that is basically that the Scandinavians, right? We're sort of like, you you know you know in the schoolyard, right? When when somebody's bullying you, right? There's like the bully, and then there's this backup team, right? And there's always that little shitty, very short kid who stands <laughs> behind them all, egging them on, being like, yeah, yeah, go kick his ass, go kick his ass, right? That's actually Matthias doing that. That's not a sound effect <laughs> put in after by Sham either. That was him, I assure you. <laughs> That's the Scandinavians. Okay. Yeah, so like for instance, like the Belgian rape of the Congo, uh, this the horrible genocide that uh, the Belgian uh, King Leopold uh, exacted on 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 the Congo. That right there, you know, there was like thousands of Danes and Norwegians and Swedes involved in that shit too. So, and it's the same elsewhere in in Africa. You can 
until um, Mugabe uh, uh, kicked out the white farmers in, in, in Zimbabwe, there was plenty of Danish farmers there too, and other Scandinavians. So like they've always been there in one way or another, just like been flying under the radar. And now we're like the good European nation. <laughs> one thing I've got, this is a little bit off topic, but I've always thought it's interesting how some of the biggest empires, especially European empires, are the smallest countries. So you obviously you have like us, Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands, Portugal. Like these all had giant empires at some point, but yet they're the smallest countries. And I, I guess maybe it's because we're surrounded by water and we have good naval fleets, maybe. I... No, no, it's the potato. You really? Are you lying to me? No, 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 no. Look, potatoes, right? Uh in terms of like nutritious food to appear on the European continent in the 1500s, the potato is a fucking powerhouse, right? So what, what happens, what happens in the 1500s? You, you have these um, Spanish and English that come back from, uh, from the Americas with potatoes. They start growing them in Europe, right? And what happens next? is essentially that you have a population boom in Europe. You have a huge population surplus uh, from the 1600s and onwards. This, you know, along with the potato, you have improved living conditions, sanitary conditions and so on for a lot of people as well. Um, and basically what, what this then drives is of course like a human surplus um in the sense of uh, there there are too many people for too little land and those people they start moving out right and that's why you have the big migrations from europe and that's uh that's why the europeans then you know have the upper hand uh for a couple of centuries um those those demographics and things are starting to change now um and and become um different in one way or another Right, like what we're seeing in in Europe is, for instance, an influx from Africa and from Asia. Right, mm -hmm. um, and you know, essentially, uh, despite what some people might say, it's a needed influx because uh, those. Uh, this is this has been the case since World War II. Uh, the European uh, populations aren't as productive as other populations in the world. And that's why we started to get uh, workers from Turkey and and uh, and elsewhere in the in the late fifties and, and in the sixties. UK got workers from from uh, the Caribbean, right, and so on. I mean, right? the, our good our government needs to do something to get some workers now because we have no truck drivers, and everything is. I mean, maybe we all need to get back into the EU. <laughs> I mean, I mean, some things they need to figure. I mean, if I was in charge, I would pass a bill to allow foreign work a lot easier because I, I was hearing on the news today that the ships have been turned away from the ports because there's just such a backlog because there isn't the there's just isn't enough truck drivers to get things around the country. Yeah, yeah. And you're seeing this all over the world. Like here in the US, we have the same thing. Like uh, the the big port, in, I think it's in LA. There's just like towards 100 ships just like lying outside of it, waiting to get in. <laughs> That's insane. It really is. 
But you know, it, it, this all of this stuff really reveals a couple of other things. That is, as a global society, we are so interwoven in so many ways that we can't escape that situation, regardless of how isolationist we want to be. Like the U.S. Um, can get by with a lot of things on its own, but it's still, you know, so connected with all these other countries that you know you, you can't can't escape the situation the uk uh, neither right like, you, get, you, you get used to certain things it's even just down to fruit and veg obviously when you know 10 15 20 years ago you used to eat the seasonal fruit and veg that's how it was whereas now you want or people just get used to it and I'm, I'm a sucker as well you know i want sweet corn all year round i want asparagus all year round i want all these things all year that have to be shipped in or flown in and it's like and if it's not on the shelf, I'm like, oh, why not? I want that today, now. And that's how that's how we've kind of been brought up to be now. It's it's how it is. You want everything. Yeah. Okay, so I think I've got a little bit of a better understanding as to why there's such a an interest in this this culture down in South America. Now I you you I know nothing about your topic. I asked you and you just said the way they lived. And yes. I was like, all right. All right, let's let's see what happens. Okay, so well, the thing is that you know uh, it's it's sort of like an overlooked topic, you know, the physical uh, surroundings of Vikings. Like, what did people actually like? What did they live in? How did they live? What, what was their physical uh, area like? Um, you know, built structures and and also natural structures and so on in the Viking age, right? Like you, you see a show like the Vikings and, and then, you know, first of all, it's like um, the, the, the structures, the buildings that they, they live in. I don't know if you noticed, but, but you can like see holes through them, right? Like you can see the outside through the walls sometimes. And it's like, if they, if, if they tried to live like that in Norway, in the Viking age, they'd be, all be dead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cold. You'd be very cold, and uh, you know it's it's it, it's also a thing. It's sort of like a barbarianism that it, these kinds of shows when they're, you know, when they're making making the sets for. Um, I, I bitched about this on my blog when it came to this show Barbarians, uh, which was about like the. Um, the uh, uh, the Germanic tribes standing up against the Romans and all that stuff in the uh, in the first couple of centuries AD. Um, the the buildings looked like they were built by chips or something like that. It's like, <laughs> these like big weird logs that were just like like put together with uh, with uh, giant nails, and it's like that's not how they would be building things. I mean, we're dealing with uh, people who have for millennia adapted to living in northern europe right they know what they're doing and uh of course they would never live in housing that was um you know in any way uh, compromised in terms of uh, letting the wind and weather inside right no that i mean that's a good point because probably for i'm, I'm going to guess here 99 of people listening to this I imagine get their idea of what things look like in the Viking age from TV shows. And that's me included. 
because obviously we're not there, we can't see it. Um, yeah, you can you kind of get maybe a description in, in books, but obviously visual things always last longer. They leave a longer memory. You take notice of them a little bit, maybe a little bit more. So, you know, I, when I see them on TV shows, I'm kind of like, oh, that's probably what it looked like. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I think... Um, uh, what's that movie called with uh Christian Bale from like the 90s or 80s? It, it's a movie about the real Hamlet. The real Hamlet was the prince of, of, of Jutland in Denmark. Um, the story is recorded in Saxo's History of the Danes, and it's I, I, I don't, I have not actually seen proper scholarship uh explaining how shakespeare ever got to the point of like taking that tale and then turning it into his story about hamlet I'm, I'm, it's still very iffy for me like how did that actually happen but shakespeare must have had access to some um some historical writings on this subject at some point um but hamlet was a a prince in um in Jutland, he was portrayed by his uncle, sort of like the same same storyline as we know it from Hamlet. Uh, he's a lot less, um, um, you know, emo uh, <laughs> compared to Hamlet. But um, the story is, uh, or the, the movie um, is actually known as Royal Deceit. And it's, and it's uh, Gabriel Byrne and Helen Mirren and Christian Bale uh, who have some of the uh, primary roles in the in the movie, um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's sort of like the real historical version of 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 Hamlet, based off of uh, Saxo's um, uh, story in the history of the Danes. Anyway, what I was going to say about that movie is that that movie is probably um, the best example of a uh, fairly big and and popular movie, um, historical movie about the Scandinavian past. So this would have taken place technically before the Viking Age, but it's sort of like leading up to the Viking Age, um, where where actually you know the. Uh, the clothes and the the scene, the scenery and setups and all of that stuff are actually historically accurate. Because as far as I remember, they went to some reconstructed village in Jutland where they actually filmed this, or maybe it was in, uh, in Zealand. But uh, um, so 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 they've used uh, you know reconstructed houses and everything um, as as the, the backdrop for that um, that movie. I, I strongly recommend actually watching it because it's 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 kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So you use that to get an idea of of how it actually was. Yeah. So what what typically would a house have been made of? Obviously wood, but do we know like how accurately? I guess do we know that how they were built? So we 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 know pretty pretty accurately how they built houses and what materials they used. And obviously, the first thing that we need to realize is that they they use different materials depending on where we are in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. right, or the North Atlantic, right. So um, in southern Scandinavia, there's not a lot of innovation or change in how they built buildings or settlement patterns or anything like that. 
from the Stone Age up until the end of the Viking Age. Now, the end of the Viking Age, that's when things start to change. The beginning of the Viking Age, they're pretty much living the same, same way as they would in the Bronze Age or earlier, right? That's the first thing we need to consider. Um, and we're not seeing a lot of like demographic shifts or anything like that until the, the end of the Viking Age too. That's because of, you know, farming techniques and, and all those things. They don't change much over that time period from the sedentary Stone Age where, you know, people are, you know, building farms with their flint axes and all that stuff. And then until the Viking Age where, of course, we have iron and all that stuff and things have changed um, fundamentally. You know, the wheel plow is being introduced, uh, fertilizer probably also being introduced in this time period. That changes, of course, the production and output of the fields, which then, of course, can means that that can supply or, or support more people, right? But so in Southern Scandinavia, what you have are houses built from, um, you know, interlaced uh, sticks that are then uh, encased in mud, right? Okay. And the, uh, the structure of, a, of such a house, um, in the early Viking age, there would be like three-aisled houses. So you would have, you know, two rows of pillars in the middle of the house and then some, some pillars uh, away from them on each side. And then, of course, the wall pillars, right? The walls themselves wouldn't be supporting the roof. It would be pillars that are supporting the roof. So you... Uh, you basically have like that wood frame and then for the walls you 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 put in those um interlaced sticks um you can you, you see them used for fencing quite often i guess is a cheap easy easy way to make a fence it's it's literally just some some stiff uprights i guess some bigger some bigger sticks upright and then you weave in and out exactly more, more bendy sticks i guess yeah, and then then you make the that uh, all of that uh, more um, uh, impervious to the um, wind and weather by by adding um, clay on both sides, right, of of those sticks. Um, there's probably also sometimes some uh, uh, some hay involved or some um, something like that um, to to uh, make it more. Um, uh, um, durable and also uh, um, uh, insulated better. Okay, so what do you have aside from that, right? You have you have that house, and then it would be a thatched roof, typically, right? Mm -hmm. um, or um, uh, using um, straw, right? So straw roof, which you still see in in northern Europe and uh, Denmark, and you can find it in, in Germany and and the Netherlands as well. Like, I'm pretty sure you can find some houses with a straw roof in, in the UK too, right? Oh, yeah. They tend to be more southerly, kind of like the Wiltshire. The Wiltshire area, you definitely get some some thatched roofs. And they look, they do look lovely. They cost they you do, a lot. Right? They cost you a lot because they need replacing every like 10 years or something. But they do look very nice. So so that's that's how they would build a house, right? And they would have a dirt floor. 
Um, and then they would have, you know, the sides would be raised and then you would have a fireplace in the middle. Um, and and um, in many cases, what we actually see is that half of the house is stables, right? So uh, you can walk straight from your bed uh, into the stables. And, uh, and, and that's, that's usually also where, you know, people would be um, relieving themselves. Um, so taking a shit next to the horse and that kind of stuff. I bet, it smelled, um, I bet he smelled lovely in there. Right, right. It was. I mean, so it's, it's so easy on on the TV shows to focus on the longhouses because obviously they, they, I guess, they did exist, but not everybody lived in these big, lavish longhouses. Um, no. But you can see why on TV shows they they like to show those because they look nice. Certainly, looks a lot better than this little mud hut with a thatched roof right <laughs> with horses in it but i guess most people would have lived lived that way and you know you wouldn't i assume anyway that you wouldn't make your house too big either it would be just just big enough because obviously the bigger the space especially the higher the space the harder it is to keep warm exactly and being warm is a big thing yeah and that's that's another thing uh, to keep in mind here um, aside from like things like you know you could probably use to the, the you know the the space um, up top in you know under the roof and all that stuff you could probably use that for certain things like you know maybe you can hang a sausage there and like let it smoke slowly <laughs> or something like that cure cure very slowly but aside from that you can't really use that space for much more than your storage and those kinds of things. Because um, you wouldn't be able to sleep up there um, if you, this is actually something that uh, a team of uh, archaeologists have found out in, um, in Denmark, like, in a, like living in one of those reconstructed uh, houses actually uh, seems to have been pretty, uh, pretty dangerous when it comes to carbon monoxide, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, that's what I, would, I was actually going to bring up, being a, been an ex-heating engineer and all yep. <laughs> um, and i have a little understanding about carbon monoxide obviously you don't want any holes in your house because it gets cold you know they don't have glass for windows and then a nice little thing you can open um but obviously if you've got a fire in there you also don't want to fill that place with smoke but more importantly carbon monoxide yeah so how i guess how did they they deal with that because they won't have had a chimney i know romans learned fairly quickly that you have to have a hole up the top somewhere to let the they didn't they obviously didn't understand carbon monoxide but to let the the bad gases out so so you would find a couple of windows here and there in some of those house structures but more uh even more so they, there would be uh holes on each side of the gable usually okay um or, or in each gable so to speak so so that it would be able to come out that way um but this, this would you would still have a situation with a lot of smoke in you know the general living space and you know sleeping close to the ground would then prevent you from you know dying from carbon monoxide poisoning mm -hmm. yeah but, i mean let, let, let's take a minute just to to picture that because anybody that's been around a fire Especially, I, mean, I guess they're, they're not burning plastics and 
and that kind of thing. So there's always some knob that throws some plastic on the fire and you see the the, the dark smoke that comes off it. Mm. At least with, with maybe cleaner woods, it's not going to be too smoky, but it's still going to be still going to be fairly yeah. smoky. It's not going to be, you wouldn't want it just there. And obviously with, with modern chimneys, um, obviously they work on air pressure because they're high up and you get the wind going past, which pulls the smoke up. But they, they don't have that. If you've just got two holes, you're just relying on obviously heat rising and the smoke going out, but that's not that efficient. So, and, and you're going to have your fire on a lot because you want to keep warm, you want to cook. It's, it's imperative to your survival. So it must have been, they must have had sore eyes, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Sore eyes and sore throats. Smokers lungs. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone must have just spoke with like a, a rat, like you last week. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The, I mean, they all must have sounded pretty sexy though, to be fair. Very raspy, deep voices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it must have been an unpleasant thing. Anybody who, I guess anybody who complains of how we have things now, and you know, some people have worse situations than than others, and it's not always perfect, but you get these people like, oh, I wish I was alive in the Viking age. And it's like, no, you no, don't, man. <laughs> no, no, just take a minute and think about it because it would not, it wouldn't be nice. We live in the best time ever to be alive for, for hygiene, for health, for everything. It's just the best time to be alive. And that's unarguable. Materially, absolutely, yes, yes. We we're very blessed in that sense. But yeah, we just they say if we just take a minute to really think about how it would have been in a you're in a small room. I mean, I would have loved all the animals being around. That I can't complain about that. I would have liked the stables being inside. But you know, you've got the animals in there who are who are shitting, who are mm-hmm. they will smell, they're they're there, you know, making noise. Not wanting to sleep when you want to sleep, you know, just just generally ruffling around, I guess. Then you've got people going to the toilet in the corner, pissing shit and whatever else. You've got the smoke. You have the smell of, I guess, from just the the meat or the, the flesh of things that you're killing to to eat. That's either uncooked, cooked. Then you people are just going to smell in general because they're not mm-hmm. going to be washing. Uh, certainly not as much as we do today. Um, and they wouldn't have access to soap or or anything. Well, you know, they they they've, they found ways. I think I've mentioned this before, right? That like garlic, for instance, we know this from the medieval period. Uh, that garlic was used for people to chew on to uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, mask the smell of their rotten teeth. I think that tells you everything, right? It tells you everything about that life. Like if you're chewing garlic to smell better. Right, <laughs> definitely weeded out the vampires as well. That too, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that. Yeah, that does. Uh, the fact that the garlic is the go-to is like, right? That's, that's your chewing gum. Yeah, have a, have some garlic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it can't have been certainly now for for them. I guess it was just normal, and the smells were the smells. I, you know, you get nose blind is a thing. You know, if you're mm-hmm. around because. I've had maybe not some friends, but I've worked around some people who smell. Like you just get used to bad smells. Yeah, that's how it is, right? <laughs> no, yeah, so that's that's definitely the thing that there would have been a lot of uh, smells that people probably didn't really even really realize were there because they were so used to them, right? Um, For us going back, though, I bet it would be a shock to the system. 
It probably would be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it would not be. No, it would not be nice. So, I mean, that's just, I guess that's just your average house. Um, I, how many people, I guess, how many people would live in? Yeah, so that's, just, that's the next thing, right? So um, you would be pretty crowded, right? Um, it would be single family houses typically, but those families would be bigger than, you know, what we consider family today. You would have, you know, maybe like at least three generations of people living in there, right? Like you could expect to have your grandparents and, and that, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. there too. Um, I, this is one thing I've never thought of before, but I assume the when you say grandparents it's not like grandparents today i imagine they would be younger because everybody would have children much right. younger well yeah so that's another thing so when when do women start producing kids in in that society well you know you could probably find them all the way down to 12 12 mm-hmm. 13 year olds uh, who who are having children mm-hmm. um which uh, by the way what we know from you know, societies in modern times where, where that is happening, that can be very devastating for the, the body, for a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's also an, another issue, right? Uh, life expectancy wouldn't be that long. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it, it sounds so abhorrent now, thinking mm-hmm. 12, 13-year-olds. But I, to, a, to a, I guess, a less civilized, un, less educated group of people it was just as, as crude as it may sound as soon as a girl comes on a period and, and is in that as able to bear child then it was that's how it was mm-hmm. and yeah and and the menstruation could have started later due to lack of nutrition that's another aspect of life in that time period um they would have production issues when it comes to producing food like sometimes you run into bad weather, famine ensues, those kinds of things. And that, of course, also has something to say in terms of uh, when women would, would be able to have children. But uh, one thing that usually overrides uh, uh, nature is, is culture, right? So uh, if, for instance, it was customary to marry off your, your uh, daughter, for instance, at the age of 12, 13, 14, you would do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, um, there, there, there's a lot of uh, things to take into consideration with that. that uh, but um, but yeah, what, what is life expectancy in the time period? Well, we're dealing with like 35, 40 years old. Oh, I'd, be, I'd be fucked. I'm almost there. Right, me too, man. Like I, I, I'm like almost forty. I'm like, <laughs> um, and and so that also means then that the expectation of people uh, for people to do things, right, is is much earlier. And you you, um, if you're a young man who you know belongs to the class of people who are expected to, for instance, go to war, well, you would probably be doing that at the age of 13 or or something like that right mm-hmm. um and if you're a young woman uh, who's expected to have kids you would probably be doing that uh, you know starting starting on that at the age of 13 I, yeah i guess you do things as soon as you can if you you know if if, if you're 
if you're manning the farm and you're ch- you've got children who are 12, 13 year old and they can help you out and make the work a little bit easier, then you're gonna they're gonna be doing that work so you can all eat a little bit better and hopefully have some have more crops, more food, more to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, right? So so how many kids do you have? Well, you have as many as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. And how many of those survive, right? That's another question. Like how many, how many survive past the age of like three, four, seven, and so on. So there are so many, so many uh uh other uh circumstances that would make life incredibly shitty for a viking so to speak <laughs> it doesn't sound sound good um no. but what we have covered so far in terms of um life and life expectancy and all those things is actually only southern scandinavian <laughs> um when we go north right uh if we go to iceland if we go to Obviously, wood was a material that was used all over uh, for building. Before we get off the topic of childbirth, I just want to give a shout out to all the women that gave birth in the Viking Age. It must have just been the worst thing possible. I can't imagine anything worse. And also just the huge risk on health, on infection. It can't have ever been a nice, pleasant situation. And yeah, and that, you know, also includes the women today who don't have access to modern amenities of those kinds. Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of those out there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so moving to the North Atlantic, right? Well, as I mentioned, wood was used all over, but wood uh, is harder to come by in Iceland, the Faroe Islands, um, Greenland, of course, um, parts of northern Norway as well. So what they were using there was turf, right? Turf and stone. Okay. So imagine a hobbit hole. Stone, something that I never really think of when I think of Viking, or at least Viking age houses. It's always wood. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's there's very little wood involved in 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 the construction of buildings in in the North Atlantic. Um, of course, there is some, as I said, but they would not be the primary material. It would be stone and 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 turf. How how north are we talking just together? Well, we're talking about Iceland, for instance. We're talking about the Faroe Islands too. We're talking about northern Norway too, and and Greenland, right? Okay. So so. It, it, go to the Lord of the Rings, right? Find Bilbo's house and, you know, make that dark and danky instead. <laughs> and that's, that's how, that's how a Viking would be living in the North Atlantic. Did they have cool round doors? No, they didn't. They, they, <laughs> they seem to have been rectangular. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that, that does make sense for a type of house if you want practicality of i mean the main function is shelter and warmth Mm -hmm. and what do you want you want like really really thick walls like close to a meter thick right to to keep all the 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 winter cold out Mm -hmm. um and you know can you expect to have uh wood uh to burn throughout the uh, uh the winter period no 
because we're dealing with the sparsely wooded areas here. I mean, there's, there's still the debate about whether or not Iceland had forests when Vikings showed up. They probably had some, or the, the, the country probably had some, but it took them very, very short time to, to chop all of that stuff down. And then, uh, then we were done, right? Then you have to import uh, proper, proper wood because you can't grow that in Iceland, not at that time. So, so yeah, they, they were, uh, um, they, they would be pining for wood. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and even more so in Greenland, even more so there, that would be even worse. So, so um, what would you, what could you use instead uh, for, um, um, for like burning um, and keeping warm and so on? Um, Whale blubber. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, and I've, been, I've learned something. Yeah. So so if they were using that, that also means then that there would be a lot of soot on the inside of the walls. There would be a very um, particular smell. <laughs> I mean, I've never been around burnt whale blubber before. It's 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 a it's an experience. <laughs> does it, I mean, does it give off much heat? Um, it can, it, so, so, I mean, we know from Inuit, for instance, that the, the way that they, uh, they, they use these oil lamps and so on, that was a, that was efficient. That was efficient for heating up, uh, the, um, the houses that they were living in. I guess if they're well insulated enough, along with the body heat and a small fire, it would soon, it would soon heat up enough to be comfortable. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's like, don't get me wrong. These these houses could be very like warm and comfortable. You have your sheepskin and your wool and everything in there, and so on. And it's like that does sound comfy, to be honest. I mean, I've I've slept in plenty of Viking houses over the years, and uh, in in sheepskin and wool. But uh, but yeah, and you know, um, you you can make these places very comfortable, but. But that's nonetheless, you know, you're still you're still dealing with uh, a lot of hard toiling to make it comfortable, and that's another aspect of all of this. So, what happens in a place like Iceland over the winter? Well, it snows over, so you're basically you're you're stuck in a, in a snow pile, right? And a pile of snow under <laughs> underneath that in, in a in a house. Um, can you shovel your way out? Yeah, sure, you probably can, right? But um, it's not like today where you have roads and you have a snow plow. Yeah, what are you going to do when you shovel yourself out? Just look yeah, at all the exactly. snow. <laughs> you will be looking at all the snow. And <laughs> so, so, so there's, you know, the, the amount of activity that you are capable of doing in those Arctic and sub-Arctic areas in, in, in the North Atlantic in the Viking age, it's like, yeah. A lot of children. A lot of baby making, a lot of like sitting around and uh, telling each other ghost stories and uh, the stories about ancient heroes and all that stuff. And then, of course, once the snow, the snow melts, that's when, you know, boom, you're moving around again and, 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 and life moves outside. People say they're bored now. And I could... Can you imagine being stuck in a small house 
with three generations of your family. And I, I like my family. I love my family. I'll go as far as say I love my family. Like probably shouldn't have been the first word out. <laughs> I love I love my family. I would not want to be trapped in a small house for months and just I mean I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> I'd chance myself outside with snow. <laughs> so they must have been <laughs> so boring. Right. It must have been boring. It must have been um you know. It, had, it it required another level of tolerance that I don't think modern people are capable of. <laughs> we can't even figure out living in societies. You know? uh, yeah, I, might, I wonder how many times the, the snow melted and they went around the house and it was just, everyone was dead. Everybody was just, it was like something, something in there happened and nobody will ever know what, but something happening up there, everybody got killed. So if we go to Inuit folk tales, like from, from Greenland and Canada, some of the um, more popular ones are the ones about crazy people killing each other and eating each other and those kinds of things. That seems to have been a real, very valid fear among Inuit. Whereas Inuit, of course, have been living in these conditions for millennia right well i guess that's the that's the other thing is that if you know the snow's coming you have to keep a certain amount of food inside the house at least or at least with where you can get to it but if you plan wrong or you don't have a good enough harvest and all the snow stays around longer than you expect you're going to get hungry so someone's get if they're in with me and i'm getting hungry someone's getting eaten Yep. So that must have happened. That plenty of times. That definitely happened. Judging from, as I said, all the folk tales about cannibalism, you know, which you find, you know, in general in the northern hemisphere, it's not just among Inuit, but we also have plenty of folk tales about cannibalism in, you know, in Europe. Um, I mean, Hansel and Gretel is a story about cannibalism. It's a story about not being able to feed your children. A story about, you know some people will eat you right <laughs> and that's from Bavaria. and yeah. so and it's not these stories aren't just like made up to like fuck with people or, or scary horror or anything like that those these stories come from you know real life experiences that that humans have had right that's, that, i don't want to go too dark but that has got to be horrific if you're stuck in a house and everybody knows there's not enough food and everybody's getting hungry and people must start looking around like who's who's getting eaten now that's <laughs> you laugh because it's dark humor but that must have been a terrifying position to be in like absolutely because you can't escape either there's no that you cannot get out of there and no one's coming to help you so you just no, gotta I make mean, yourself tasty well it's a fun tasty there is there's there's the other option and that is like for somebody to leave or somebody to be put out which is something that you know we know from scandinavian history happened as well how annoying would you have to be where they don't want to eat you they want to put you out instead (laughs) well (laughs) to put into perspective for everybody over the past 18 months every most people listening to this will have been in some form of lockdown 
and people you know people have struggled with a modern day lockdown in your your, your fairly decent sized house compared i mean no matter how big how small your house is it's probably not going to be as small as a viking age house um and you also have access to the internet netflix all these things to, to keep you preoccupied and yet people have still really struggled with with being kept in and, and locked up so imagine what it would be like just in one room of your house with your entire family with no tv no radio no podcasts no netflix no anything to pass the time other than actually having to talk to each other i guess yep and you know it's so interesting to consider because we can compare the current modern situation that we have had here um and all our the psychological damage that we suffered and all that stuff we can compare that to the plague there's plenty of um source material on how people cope with the plague and yeah and it's, it's the same you know with the, some of the sagas uh, from iceland and and other you know literature from from the medieval period in, in the north atlantic and in scandinavia it actually gives us an insight into how people handled um, and thought about um, different kinds of plagues or pandemics or whatever epidemics that they faced the um the sagas about greenland for instance you know, Eric the Red saga and the saga, the saga about Vinland um, also address this subject of, of, of illnesses and, 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 and all that stuff. It's actually quite interesting. It seems like the uh, Icelanders kind of suffered, or Icelanders and Greenlanders suffered a trauma um, of some kind that had to do with a possible plague in, in Greenland. It's like everything just goes wrong over there for the vikings who settled there because <laughs> it's such a harsh climate i don't think you're meant to live there it's oh we're humans we can live anywhere oh yeah absolutely just look we're... at the inuit they are doing perfectly fine in the arctic <laughs> well yeah that's a good point actually but i mean i've only ever been to iceland once and i've never seen snow like it <laughs> i've never seen snow like it, it was coming sideways and I was like, fuck, live it. I, like, I'm going into a nice, warm hotel. But <laughs> fuck arriving here. And the first time, if I was in the Vikings, the first time I ever saw it snow like that, if I survived, I'd be back on my ship and I would be somewhere else. South. <laughs> it's warmer. You know, there's a reason I lived this far up in the mountains. I mean, it's not like it's easy to live up here. No, like you got the- glutton for, for the cold. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this the, where I am at is that that's the closest I can get to, you know, something that reminds me of living in Iceland or Greenland. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I could live a much more, you know, quote unquote, comfortable life down on the plains. I mean, there's, it's not snowing on the plains. I don't think so, at least. Um, it's usually 10 degrees, maybe 15 degrees warmer down there um like literally in the springtime it's you know commuting uh between boulder and where i live up in the mountains is is commuting between summer and winter (laughs) (laughs) no i yeah that's a good point because for me my ideal place to live would be 
just in a little farmhouse in the middle of a field with nobody like a hobbit you want to be a hobbit yeah (laughs) but that's because that's you know yorkshire is just full of beautiful fields and little farmhouses put around i'm like that's what i want i want nobody around me and i want i just want my little workshop and a little farmhouse and all the animals i can get and i would be happy oh and obviously sarah (laughs) let's see let's wrap this one up i think we're an hour and 15 hours yes. away. but I just want to I, I just want to uh, uh, you know yeah wrap this one up with with a, a, a little rant or disclaimer so like those you know awesome biking houses you know with the curved walls and the curved um, roofs and you know with dragons on them and all that stuff right they show up in the very end of the Viking age and they seem you know, to be, we know them as the Trallebor style houses. And we know them to be mostly associated with uh, the Christian King Harold Bluetooth and other, you know, in that time period. So, you know, they, they don't seem to be much related to the, that, uh, you know, cool pagan Viking uh, wielding his axe and conquering England as much as they're like more like, you know, associated with that, you know, Christian Viking king who uh, is uh, is is a little more measured and 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 civilized. Now we we almost went one one whole episode without upsetting the Viking bros, but you had to do it right at the end. I had to punch them in the nuts. Yes. <laughs> no, this is this is fun. I enjoy these these episodes where it's just me and you. They're. Maybe they're a little bit sillier than than the others and kind of all over the place. But we I think we we cover some good topics and learn some some interesting thing. Apparently potatoes are to blame for colonization. Never knew that. Pretty big part of it, yeah. So yeah, no, th- this is fun. It's like I say it's a lot of a lot of fun. Um yeah, I, I look forward to doing these. I've got my topic for next time already lined up. And it is is Iceland part of Scandinavia? I am I am looking forward to pissing off pretty much everybody in the North Atlantic and Scandinavia with uh, my comments on that. <laughs> there we go. So that's going to be my topic next time around, which I look forward to finding out the answer to, because I also have had disagreements with people over whether Iceland is Scandinavian or not. <laughs> so there are you, you can think of another topic you want to uh, to rant about next time. I will if I'm not, you know, dying from the last bit of uh, COVID coughing hangover that I'm suffering from right now. <laughs> I know you keep you keep having to mute the microphone because you're having yeah. coughing fits. But even yeah. the professional, nobody can tell. <laughs> Except for <laughs> when they're watching the video and they just see me coughing with the no sound on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, if obviously I'm going to do Matthias for him. If you want to follow Matthias. It's at Matthias Norvig on Instagram. Uh, uh, Not even going to bother it. <laughs> if you if you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. It really does help people find the show. I think we've got 255 star reviews now or something like that. Um, it's amazing. I love reading the comments. So please do take a, a minute just to, to write a review. Uh, it, it makes me, When we get a new five-star review, it makes my day genuinely does just make, I, it makes me happy because we put a lot of love and effort into this. You know, we put out our, we give it a lot of time of our own time to do the show, and um, so getting reading this does little moments of 
knowing that people enjoy what we do, it, it really does uh, make me happy. The the best way to support us will be through Patreon. Um, it really helps us kind of just get a little bit of money involved. Let's us, like I say, I'm going to try and build a new studio. That's from from people supporting us on Patreon. Mateus is going to do the same. So the sound quality is going to get better. The video is going to get better. Sham behind the scenes does an amazing job editing all the shows. He really, yeah, he really does um, an amazing job. So it helps us pay for Sean as well. And then we've got the Saxon Storyteller who does all the artwork. You know, there's there's quite a big team behind the podcast now and all these people, we like to try and look after them where we can. And that that comes from those who help us out on Patreon. Also, you get an extra bonus show every week, either me and Mateus will sit down and watch an episode of the Vikings where Mateus will tell you all about the houses or anything that he just doesn't think is is accurate in the back all things that we enjoy and we do like and they always end up being a good laugh or the other bonus shows every other week you know um Jonas Lorenzo is going to come on and be the narrator for our story time episodes where we go through a saga of the Volsungs at the minute we're on the second episode next week of that and those are really amazing he's a really good job he's got a whole host of different voices uh so yes yeah, so if you want to help us out it's not in mythology forward no, Patreon forward slash Nordic Mythology podcast. And there we go. Let's uh, wrap it up. That's the show. That's it. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs>